Welcome, everybody. I'd like to read from Yogananda's uh, Whispers from Eternity, and this is a very short reading, so don't miss it. (laughs) Demand to love God as all saints have loved him. O Heavenly Father, fill my heart daily with the prayers and love of some new saint who found thee in ages bygone. Fill my heart with the love of all saints who have ever loved and found thee. So our topic this morning is, who are the true Christians? I'm not sure this is a question that most of us are necessarily asking, but it's a very important reading, and we'll see that it really goes to the heart of this question with the most perfect answer. I wanted to begin by a little unusual, but I wanted to share with you an image, which uh, Bhaktan is going to put up on the screen. And this image is a uh, painting that Swamiji did very early on in his life. And it's a painting of the devotee reaching to God, beholding the spiritual eye, the light of the Christ consciousness. It's a very simple painting because there's really nothing to say. It says it all. But I will say that it's that aspiration toward the divine, one-pointedly, longingly, lovingly, There's nothing else in the picture. There's nothing around it to distract the eye. There's nothing around it to distract the heart. It just very clearly is a powerful statement. And as I was meditating recently, a few weeks ago, in my meditation room, I opened my eyes, as one sometimes does, and right there on the altar was this image. And I had in the back of my mind this service in the backpack, because this was weeks ago, and I thought, This is a symbol of the true Christian. This is it. And it's not any path. It's not any particular dogma. It doesn't profess a certain religion, one or the, and not the other. It's a universal image because a universal experience. It's something that we experience in this human body when we are seeking the light, when we realize the light with that attention, one pointed devotional, giving everything, offering everything of the heart to the divine. So I wanted to begin with that because I, you know, in asking such a question, who are the true Christians? We could go a lot of places, (laughs) but I think this greatly simplifies it and transcends and brings together all expressions of seeking the truth. You can, one can see why Jesus so riled the Pharisees because he, like the other great ones, talked about the inner experience. And that made people uncomfortable. It, it uh, was an affront to the church itself, to those who felt and thought and believed from their perspective that if they had the role, they had the realization. And it just isn't that way. It's something that comes from within, that resides in the heart, in the soul. And the saint, the realized being, may or may not ever be visible much to humankind. Uh, 
Yogananda would oftentimes say it is the saints that are the true custodians of religion, true because of that inner experience. In the life of St. Francis, he too was a bit of an obstacle, a great obstacle to the church because he wanted to teach people that they too, within themselves, could know God. And this created a bit of disruption. But Master said of St. Francis, he was liberated. He had the stigmata, he brought people back from the dead. What mattered his outer life? Important to remember because when we think of the saints, we think by and large long ago, and we see a life lived out in a way that most of us are not in tune with or comfortable with. <laughs> do I have to do that? I'm not going on this path. But that's not at all it. That's not at all it. What we need to emulate from their lives is the devotion, the inspiration, the motivation to seek no matter what the circumstance and to keep going forward, to keep rising. And even when many people came to Francis, and thousands ultimately did, no matter how outwardly, you know, uncaptivating his life might seem, many, many, many came, but always he remained that very humble individual. Always he remained anchored in the divine. And we could say of his life, as Yogananda said of his own, no one dwells in this temple now but God. And it was the same for Francis, it's the same for the saints, giving their all, offering their all to that divine reality. Swami Kriyananda said of Yogananda, he said, he wore his wisdom, not at, with any outward affectation, but like one would put on an old, comfortable jacket that one has worn for years and years and years. You know, just, there was no outward show of ego. There was certainly an outward dominant and, and visible role, but that humility was ever there and anchored in the divine quest within. And that's where true spirituality resides, whatever the path, whatever the expression. It's that simple, Inter, inner relationship of the heart with the divine, that inner communion. Swami Kriyananda shared a story of uh, a great yogi, Sri Rama Yogi, whom he visited in India. And he was inspired to visit, visit this great yogi because his guru before him, Yogananda, had also visited him when he returned to India in 1935. And so Swamiji, much later, it would be in the 50s or so, uh, 60s, visited Sri Rama Yogi. And it was quite an adventure that he describes. There had been a, a train railway strike, and when the lines opened up, that was the opportunity. And he got on this train. It was a nine-hour train ride through India. In not, he started in third class, which, you know, <laughs> is difficult, but he said then he went to these, the quarters where the servants were who served first class, and that was a smaller place, there were less people, but when people figured it out, he said you couldn't even move 
I mean, just for nine hours somehow, just smashed in humanity there. He said he was bruised afterwards, you know, people jostling and just nowhere to go in your body in place. But he said he was in bliss. He was just, he, he just felt so much joy at this adventure and whom he was going to see. And he arrived there uh, at Sri Rama Yogi's, at the ashram where he was, and uh, Sri Rama Yogi realized that Kriyananda didn't speak. You know, they didn't speak the same language. So then he sends Swamiji back another 13 miles to the nearby village to get a disciple who lived there and bring him back so he could translate. And, which says quite something because Swami Ram, uh, Sri Rama Yogi spent most of his time in seclusion and in silence. So here he was, you know, stepping out in a big way to be also with Kriyananda as Kriyananda was coming to be with him. And so when Swamiji came back with the disciple, um, they talked and they shared many things. Um, Sri Rama Yogi shared about his life and how he came to his guru, Ramana Maharshi, who was no longer living, but that was the ashram where they were at. And he had received, earlier in his life, he had received a meditation technique. He took that, uh, internalized that, and really utilized that technique. And he had an experience, he said, that he couldn't really qualify. He had no you know, sounding board to know, understand it. And so he would ask all of these pundits, one after the other after the other, and he said, his question was, in meditation at some point, does the seeker, the act of seeing, and what one sees become one all-encompassing experience? And so these pundits would respond and they would say, absolutely not, that's not possible, can't happen, no. And he would just keep asking and asking and asking. And finally, he was presumably, I mean, somewhat unsatisfied with that answer, and, and, but still, you know, wanting to understand. And, and so he just kept asking, and he was led to Ramana Maharshi. And there was a small gathering of people there, and he asked the question again to Ramana Maharshi, who deferred to a renowned pundit who was also there, pundit, spiritual teacher, philosopher, um, steeped in the wisdom of the, of the eternal teaching, supposedly. <laughs> so, so this pundit responds in the very same manner. No, absolutely not, not possible. This can't happen. And at that point, Ramana Maharshi corrects him and says, well, you are mistaken. Because, in fact, at some point, the seeker, the act of seeking, and what is seen all becomes one experience. Well, at this point, Sri Rama Yogi decides that Ramana Maharshi is his guru, and <laughs> so he, he stays there in the ashram with his guru. So Swamiji is here, and Sri Rama Yogi has shared this story, and much, much more on a very deep level. And at a certain point, because there's just this one other disciple there of Sri Rama Yogis. And Kriyananda, he's feeling so much joy, so much bliss in his company. Master, many years before, had said of this great saint, if I had stayed even a half an hour longer, I wouldn't have been able to leave India. He just felt so much of everything 
India represents on a spiritual level, on the highest level, that that was his, that was his comment. But Kriyananda seeing this, you know, a disciple, Sri Rama Yogi himself, this incredible teacher, this incredible being of wisdom, and he asked him, he said, where are the disciples? Why aren't there more disciples? You have so much to share. You have so much to give. Why aren't you out there, you know, sharing it? And Sri Rama Yogi said, essentially, you know, who, who is it that is giving? Who is it that is sharing? Who else is teaching save God? God has done what he wants through this body. Wow. Wouldn't that be terrific if we could all say that? You know, enter onto the spiritual path, be on the spiritual path, putting out as much energy as we possibly can because that's the right thing to do, the magnetic thing to do, and then to be happy with the result, whatever it is, whether we got this or didn't get that or this happened or that didn't happen. God has done what he wants through this body. I am content. I am perfectly content. I am perfectly happy in the divine will. A powerful thought to consider and to meditate upon. And there's another very important aspect to this particular reading, biblical reading, all that have come before me are thieves and robbers. And here's where it gets really, really practical. Because what is standing in the way? What is standing in the way? And as we reach out for that divine reality, that's a very powerful affront to the ego and egoic desire. It's very powerful. It creates some disturbance in, in our lives, certainly challenges. We like to think of them as opportunities. But these things that get in the way, seem to get in the way of the spiritual quest, seem to rob us of our happiness. These are born of desire. And so this is the opportunity, again with that image, God first, God first. And when we try to live by that, when we try to put God first, we will see, we do see that everything starts to line up. Things just happen. Things come together. Things start to go right. They may not look like it outwardly. We may not even think it's quite right, but Inwardly, we can feel that growth is tangible, that growth is happening, that there's just a little more of the heart that is getting freed up, that is getting liberated, because no longer bound by a particular desire. Swami Kriyananda gives us a number, our teachings give us a number of ways to reroute desire. And one that sometimes people assume, and I've heard this, so you might laugh, but people think and feel this way sometimes. If I just fulfill 
this desire, it'll be done and gone. Well, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. They have a life of their own, and they generate a magnetism. And once that one is done, there's at least one more to, to come in and replace that and try to seize our attention. But if we can try, if we can offer that desire up, even in the act of fulfilling that desire, if, if, if that's just what's happening, if we can't get around it any other way and we find ourselves locked into it, give it to God, offer it up, because that generates, too, a magnetism, a magnetism that becomes increasingly more and more powerful to such a point that those lesser desires, and they are lesser, we will get that perspective at some point. They're in the way, they're a nuisance, they're lesser, they're short-term, and they don't even come out right most of the time. <laughs> you know, they come out all topsy-turvy and cause a lot of commotion. But if we can offer up those desires, we start to generate a magnetism that reroutes, starts to reroute everything. Swami Kriyananda said that he would oftentimes observe that people who were engaged in service were happier than those who weren't because less self-involved. And that's what desire does to us. It creates this vortex of self-involvement and the desire for self-fulfillment. And when we are busy giving, when we are busy serving, the attention is redirected. It's not on the little self. Recently, many of us gathered to say goodbye to Jyotish and Devi, who are now in Assisi, Italy, our directors here, well, and directors of Ananda Worldwide, and then on to India. And one of the parting things Devi said, she said, keep busy. And I, I have to say, <laughs> I just thought, oh my gosh, I mean, we're all way too busy. But I, you know, because I, a part of me reacted like that, I had to really sit with it and be with it. And I thought, okay, what she's saying is be busy with God, be with, busy for God. And yes, keep busy for God and with God because that'll redirect that energy away from the little self, our problems, the problems of the world, and they are many but it'll redirect our attention. And those things, they will and they do take care of themselves. Swamiji said to practice devotion. And he, I, someone shared with me recently, and I, it's really stuck in my consciousness. In this particular context, Swamiji was talking about how no matter what good work he did, what project he did for master, for the work, you know, for everyone, you know, with a giving heart, all of this, no matter what project he did, master rarely, rarely uh, took note of that project or complimented him on that project. What he did compliment Swamiji on was any effort that he made and the success he was making in developing and deepening his devotion. That's 
That's the lasting impact that we can make, is that love call to God. That's what ripples out and changes things, not the projects that we're the instrument for or that we help manifest or that we create or think of or any of that. We need to do those things, but to do them with devotion, that's liberating. And that's what raises our own, helps to raise our own consciousness and the consciousness of everyone around us. Master uh, in, Swamiji tells of Master in The New Path in his autobiography. He shares that there was a student who came to Yogananda and, you know, one problem after the other, after the other, and he would voice a particular problem. And Yogananda, clearly he had knew this individual's soul and had probably talked to him many, many times. And he simply said, love God. But, and he went on, (laughs) the student went on, but, but, and what about this? You know, this isn't right. Love God. And then he went on some more with still more problems. Love God. And again, that, those words so beautifully dovetail with that image. Just that single pointed focus. If we can hold that image of the spiritual eye of Christ consciousness, that universal divine experience which everyone is capable of experiencing, and keep to the fore those words, love God, we have there the answer to everything. We have there the tool for inner freedom. So thank you and bless you all. Riches.
Kingdom of heaven. 